if you want to close out this year strong and start next year even stronger, then you may want to check out the Same Side Selling Academy six-week immersion program starting on October 10th. It's going to be limited to a small number of people, and it's hopefully a group that's going to be highly engaged, focused on same-side selling and how to grow your business. Just go to samesidesellingacademy.com to sign up. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Dustin Matthews. He's the founder of Speaking Empire, who teaches entrepreneurs how to scale up their business using selling from presentations and stages. He authored a book with Dan Kennedy that teaches how to do it called The No BS Guide to Powerful Presentations. And we're going to talk about specifically the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to presentations, there are five principles to make sure that you're getting to the right outcome and really a formula for success to make sure that your presentations are engaging and lead people to action. You're going to learn a ton from Dustin Matthews. Dustin Matthews, welcome to the program. I am super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Super excited. Well, you must be someone who doesn't listen to the show then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Dustin, tell us something that the audience may not know or may find surprising about you. Well, I was actually born in Japan, and uh, the interesting fact is that I could still be president if they need me. Uh, and uh, for those of you that know, uh, don't spoil it, it is because I was born on a military base, so that's U.S. soil. So a lot of people actually don't know that about me. Oh, cool. Awesome. And, and did you spend a lot of years living abroad? Only two. And my grandmother is frustrated because I'm a quarter Japanese, um, but my grandmother's frustrated. Uh, she's 100% Japanese. I actually went over to uh, Costa Rica and actually Colombia. I studied some Spanish. So I know more Spanish than I know Japanese. And so grandma's not thrilled about that. Yeah, I don't blame her. I mean, by the <laughs> way, she's my guest next week. <laughs> uh oh, I'm in trouble now. We're, we're talking about her disappointments in life <laughs> and uh, there's a whole feature on it. So so you've got you've got a new book out, which is the No BS Guide to Powerful Presentations. And so our audience is going to learn a ton about presentations. And before we get into the things that they should be doing and the and the principles they should think through, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make when it comes to presentations and speaking for that matter? Well, if we're going to presuppose that they're going to do presentations, then you know, then I'll skip the mistake of not giving a presentation. So a lot of people hide, right? They'd rather be dead than actually give a presentation. Yep. So I, you know, I'm going to skip over that one. But I think the the biggest thing that I see most people do when it comes to presentation is they know they got to give a, a big presentation, whether it's in a boardroom or at the annual conference or at some you know seminar or something. And it's 2 a.m. and you know they're busy, they're working, they've got stuff to do on their task list, and they wait to the last minute. It's 2 a.m. and they're trying to put their slide deck together or think about what they're going to talk about. And that stress, you know, creeps up and it manifests in the back of your shoulder, right? As that pinch, or we've all had it if we sat at the computer desk for too long. And so I think the biggest mistake is people put this ungodly pressure on themselves to pull something off, which means you've got all this stress, you're not in the right state. Then also too, you can't go do your research. So, you know, the thing that sells in a boardroom or, you know, in a public forum are statistics and stories. And so waiting to the last minute, you, you really like, I just got to get something out there and you don't think about the stories and you don't have the right facts to make the case. And so that's the biggest mistake I see people making. So one is that idea of, well, they don't present at all, but assuming that they actually present, they wait to the last minute. And then because they wait to the last minute, they don't have the stories that are going to engage people. They don't have the stats to support the stories 
which may not be a big deal because they don't have a story anyhow. Um, and then what do their presentations end up looking like at that point? Oh, they're very like topical and they, you know, they're not persuasive. And so, you know, most of the folks that I work with, we are trying to get some sort of end result at the end of it. Like we have an agenda, right? And so that could be buy something if we're selling, it could be persuade somebody to, to take our idea. And so usually the story is just very high level. There's no statistics to back them up. Uh, they're not developed very for, uh, very far. And then also to the presenter is nervous generally because they know it. And then, they, you know, they feel that the audience knows it too. And so so it's not as powerful and effective as it can be, and oftentimes they'll get you know torn to shreds if there is a Q and A sort of format because they just simply aren't prepared. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I often will talk to people and say, look, one of the keys, and as someone who speaks sixty to seventy five times a year at, at events all around the world, I'll tell people, look, the, the key is rehearsal and preparation. And people will say to me, yeah, but you know what, if, if I'm, if I'm too rehearsed then I'm going to look stiff and I always uh. laugh and I say, you know, it's actually the opposite. So if you're marginally rehearsed and marginally prepared, then you're going to be really stiff because you're worried about what you're going to forget and what you're going to miss. If you know your information forwards and backwards. And when I say that, I mean, literally we will during rehearsal say, okay, tell, Tell the end of this story and then go backwards from it. And then, and like you're mixing people up because if you can do all that, mm -hmm. you have such a command over your content that you can speak in a way that seems extemporaneous, but it's really all really well planned out and organized. And you have a message that your audience says, well, that made total sense instead of some harebrained idea that they're like, yeah, that was kind of half baked because it was. Right. So, so how often do you see that where? People stand up there and they just seem really stiff and rigid. Yeah, I mean I see I see it all the time. And the thing I want to dovetail into this is this idea of choreography. And so if you go see Blue Man Group, right, or you go see an opera or you go see a play, right, those folks aren't winging it. They're choreographing. They are practicing. The lighting technician, you know, not even just the performer but the staff practice and they practice and they do it over and over and, and they put so many hours into it to make it an, ex an amazing experience. You know, think of your favorite musician. You know, like you got to think – wow, that guy or that gal has played that you know, song, you know, 1,373 times, but the real art and the real craft is to master it and own it so that you can have fun with it. And the audience feels like it's coming off authentic and it's like your first time. And so you're absolutely right, Ian, about, you know, it's not about being a robot up there. It's about just knowing your context so you can add the nuance, so you feel comfortable, so you can project confidence. And so that comes from rehearsal. That comes from understanding, you know, what you're going to be talking about so you can work on some of the other stuff. Yeah. I remember as a, uh, as a college student, I was a huge fan of the magician David Copperfield. I did a lot of magic and close-up magic when I was like in high school and college at kids' magic shows. And so I, mean, I was a huge fan of David Copperfield. And I remember during a two-week period, I saw him at four different venues that were all within driving distance of college. And the first venue I saw him at, I was like, man, that was just amazing. And the way he had that like off-the-cuff, impromptu interaction with that audience member that was so cool. And the second time I saw him, I'm like, wow, what an amazing coincidence. He had the same <laughs> off-the-cuff interaction with an audience member this time he did last time. And I wasn't that smart. So by the fourth time, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. That wasn't <laughs> random at all. <laughs> but That's exactly it's, right. You know, it's, and, it's, and it's the notion of 
little it, it's funny one of the things that uh, I've studied with uh, Michael Port's team mm-hmm. at Heroic Public Speaking and one of the things that Michael talks about is even in Q&A look you know there are certain questions you know you're going to be asked and you can have bits or pieces or parts that you know exactly what how you're going to answer it and how it's going to go and it's not like oh I have to rely on a script but it's more if you've crafted it in a way that you know conveys your message really well, then why would you not give it that way? Like, if you're trying to impact the audience the best possible way, let's give it to them in the way that we know is effective rather than let me wing it and come up with something else. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And, and I think that plays into another part of challenge out there and so this of rehearsal, meaning that most folks, most execs or most salespeople, they don't really have a forum to practice. So you think about Chris Rock or your favorite comedian. You know, They go to the dive bar, sometimes under a pen name, and they're practicing material before they go on to their international HBO special You know, seen by millions of people. And so the big thing, if you can work it into it, if it makes sense, is to practice your material. Not, you're not going to get 90 minutes or 60 minutes minutes often, but you can practice the bits. So like if you are on that panel, someone asks you the questions, you can give a a five minute answer. And so, you know, whether you do things like a podcast or in a a weekly meeting, you're practicing some of that material or you're even writing. And so if you have those options uh, and capabilities within your organization to do so, you get this opportunity to unpack it in a different channel or media so that when you do it on a stage or in a presentation, it's not like you're doing it for the first time. And so if you can embody what some of the most successful people do in life, uh, whether you call it athletes or entertainers, they're practicing and they do it in different ways so that they can give the amazing performance. Yeah. the When, when people say, oh, well, I'm really good at this stuff, so I don't need to rehearse, I often say, yeah, mm-hmm. so so Steph Curry, does you, you think he practices his dribbling <laughs> and free throws or, or not at all because he's that good? Oh, uh, or do you think he practices more than everyone else? So it's the same sort of thing. So we've talked about kind of the mistakes that people make. So now let's give people an opportunity that what should they be doing? Let's let's help people now pivot this. I mean, I often joke that the reason why in PowerPoint there are there are templates that have text and bullets is so that the audience can shoot themselves um, because <laughs> there's just no place for bullets on a slide, in my opinion. But what are some of the things that people can do to make them their their presentations more effective? and to get better results from those presentations? Well, the first thing is this. It's funny you say PowerPoint. <laughs> I love that line um, with the bullets and the text there. But the big, big thing with PowerPoint, you open it or Keynote, whatever you use, you know, you generally start at that first slide. You know, I know when I first started creating presentations, that's where I started. And so what I would say the biggest thing is that you start with the end in mind. What do you want the audience to do? What do you want the people in front of you to act on? And it's my belief that every presentation should call somebody into action. It should call them to do something. And so when you start backwards with, well, where do I want the audience to go? What do I want them to do? Then you reverse engineer your whole presentation. It makes it easier to determine, well, should I include this or not include it because you can ask yourself, well, does this further the sale? Does this further what I'm trying to do here or trying to get the audience to do? And I say that's the biggest thing that folks can do is flip it backwards and start with the end in mind and then go about creating that presentation. Yeah. In fact, let me, let me just comment on that because it's something that, that I've heard, um, I've heard Michael Port talk about that's made a huge difference is there might be some people who say, you know, I get nervous when I'm giving a presentation, there's something interesting that that they write about in their book and that in his programs he talks about, which is 
Look, people get nervous because they're they fear how they're being judged by others. And if instead, if you think, what am I doing to impact the audience? Then all your fear goes away because, look, I don't have time to be worried about how they perceive me. I'm trying to make sure I make a difference for them. And I, I imagine if you don't know what the end is that you're trying to accomplish, if you don't know where you're taking the audience, you might be nervous. But if you know where you're taking them and that you're going to bring them to a better place, you're probably just excited about getting there and helping them get there as well. Oh, that's good. You know, I read this. This reminds me of an article that I read. It was in like Variety or something and they were interviewing uh, – I want to say somebody from the Rolling Stones and like maybe Carly Simon or another powerful uh, female singer. And so they interviewed um, uh, the female singer first and, sh- and they asked her, hey, do you still get stage fright when, when you go out and perform? And she's like, yes, I have to be dragged out of the, out of the room. I hate it. And, and she was amazing. And so she described going onto the stage as that, right? So then they go and they – interview uh, the other member who's successful in, the, in his own right and they and he says – he asked him the same question he, and he answers, oh, you mean that feeling that I get right before I'm about to go on stage and deliver the performance of my life? Then if that's what you're talking about, then yes, you know, I, that's what I feel. And so it's all a frame, right? It's all a mindset and so uh, I know if you are nervous, sometimes, you know, to hear that, it's like, oh, that's that sounds nice. But really, it's about coming and being of service. And, and there's a saying we use here, when you're nervous, get into service. So impact the audience. Remember, it's not about you. It's about them and the value that you're supposed to give to them or the argument that they're supposed to hear. And so, you know, when you combine that and you you know, take a few moments before you actually go there, collect yourself, whether you meditate or you listen to an audio uh, or listen to powerful music, just collect yourself before you go out there, get rid of that mind chatter, and then just go be of service to that audience. Yeah, I, I love that idea of just being of service. One of the things when people come to me and I'm going to, and, and an organizer contacts me about speaking at an event, it's amazing because I ask a question that very often they say, oh, no one's ever asked us that. And I always <laughs> say, well, so what do you hope that the participants, the audience members will do differently right after this session or within the first month? That's the reason you want me there. And they're like, huh, I hadn't really thought about that. And I'm thinking, well, that's, (laughs) that's everything. Like I want to know what behavior we're looking to change and how we're going to measure it because that's the real difference. And that notion that you just shared of, be of service is I believe what it's all about when you're presenting and speaking. If you're giving a presentation, how am I helping this client solve what they can't solve for themselves? If I'm speaking at an event, how can I help get these people to your point to a different outcome or to that end point that maybe they're not in today? So I love that. Now I know that in, in the book, in the no BS guide to powerful presentations, you give five core principles that really make a big difference. Can you can you step us through those? Yeah, absolutely. There are five. I'll give them to you first and then we'll unpack them a little bit. So uh, number one is introduction. Number two, story. Number three is your offer. And I don't mean from a sales standpoint. I'll explain it in just a second. Number four is the body. And that's really where the content and the core is. 
And then number five is your close. And so those are the five elements of any presentation. And if you don't know them, you're doing them already. It's just that there's knowledge and power knowing the structure. And so, uh, all right, so this is going to be more of an influence angle. So part of this, you know, sort of what I'm revealing here and what's inside the book is, yes, the message is important itself, but also influence is such a big factor when it comes to giving a presentation, no matter what the environment or the media. And so one of the things that I love to teach about the introduction is people always are judging a book by its cover. They're judging, you know, how's this meeting going to be? How's this talk going to go? And so what I like to do is sensationalize it a bit by having somebody or something introduce me. So if you're at a conference, you, you sort of get this. Having an intro video where it tells about how awesome you are and your credibility and the books that you've you've written is a very powerful way to start because it's someone else bragging about you. Because I'm not a braggadocious guy. I'm not going to come out and say I've done this, this, and this, but I will leverage a video. Now, obviously, if you're in a boardroom, having a video it's a little over the top. So what do you do? Well, if you can have a key decision maker or a key influencer or somebody there that everybody knows, if you can have them introduce you and do the handoff, this is powerful because they all have affinity for that person or they were called to the meeting by that person. So in, essentially they have some sort of authority or credibility there. And so when you get introduced or when someone brings you up, they sort of lend that credibility uh, to you when you do it. And so your intro is very important to immediately grab the attention of that audience. And intro is one of my favorite ways. That's, and, and by the way, bef before we get into the, the, the second point, which is story, I just want to have I want to give our audience a piece of uh, input, which is if you're somebody who is introducing a speaker, and if the speaker has <laughs> taken the time to carefully type out an introduction for you to read that's concise, don't feel like you need to embellish, modify, and at best you can say, "Well, would you like me to read this, or would you like me to ad lib?" And most of us who are professionals will say, no, if you could read it exactly as it is, that would be great because we put a lot of thought into exactly how we want people to introduce us. And I can't tell you how many times I've spoken where a senior executive says, well, so we have this intro and they wanted me to read it directly, but let me tell you what I was thinking. And it's like, oh, dear God, what's going to happen next? So, and invariably what will happen is the CEO will say, oh, so, so let me tell you, because wait till he tells you this story about this and like gives away the punchline <laughs> of like a signature story. And you're like, thanks, dude. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. So. Every second counts, just like in a performance, every second counts. So that's, that's a good piece of advice. So we go there. from intro now to story. Yeah, absolutely. So story can be a lot of different things depending on your environment and where you're giving the presentation. So, you know, in a boardroom, this may be a little bit trickier. So what you want to do is tell the story of the situation. So if you've got a company product or, you know, you're doing, you know, the, the division is turning around, you want to tell that story. It's some sort of transformational story. Now, if it makes sense, the big thing that people buy is the presenter. They buy your story. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be the you know infomercial guy or the cheesy motivational guy and say I was in a van down by the river. If you remember the uh, old Chris, <laughs> Chris, Chris Farley, Farley one, yeah. yeah, right. You don't have to do that, but you have to be relatable. And and you know if you look at Hollywood, people you know Hollywood has a structure, the hero's journey about you know an individual that faces odds, overcomes that adversity, and now life is great again, right? And so you want to take those principles and apply it. And so maybe it's you. Or maybe it's the product or maybe it's the division or maybe it's the team or maybe it's the new initiative that's coming up. But you've got to be able to tell the story of transformation or what transformation will look like before and after. Okay, excellent. 
All right. So next one, getting into the next part. So you have stories all throughout. So it's not like you just tell one story yeah. and then you're done. You tell them all throughout. So then the next part that you want to be thinking about in your powerful presentation is the offer. And what I mean by offer is everyone needs to be reminded of what the challenges or the pain points are in a presentation. And so an effective way to do this is with statistics, also showing media clippings, if that makes sense, or something that the audience will know and resonate and respect like Wall Street Journal and showing and making the audience aware that, listen, there is a challenge. There is a problem that exists in the world or in the market. Here's what it is. And then obviously there's a reason why you're there and that's to present the solution. So in a way that is your offer. You turn up the pain and then you offer the solution, which is your methodology. It's your process. It's your philosophy. It's you. And so in your offer, you need to present the solution. Yeah. And I think that's something that, that honestly, I see a lot of speakers miss is that notion of, they they neglect to remind the audience about what the challenges are and why they should care about the outcome. And so, for example, one of the one of the talks that I give, I talk about habits that salespeople were taught by somebody else and why they're no longer effective. Mm. And throughout it, one of the callbacks is always so. Remember, we have these things, and it's not your fault. Just someone taught you this. And by the way, someone taught them that. And we all know it doesn't really work, and we wish we had an alternative. So here's one of them. Gee, you might ask, what's your budget? Well, why do we ask? Because someone said, well, we got to know what their budget is. Well, how else could we ask that? And now it's like, oh, yeah, I know that doesn't work, and how do I get there? But I think that that's something that I think is very powerful so that people remember why they should care, and why they should look forward to the outcome you're going to give them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what that does is that sets you up for the next thing, which is the content part. It's the body. I mean the whole thing is value, and you, the whole thing should be looked like as you're delivering content, you're delivering value. But you know, the most persuasive people on the planet are, are coming with the mindset, I'm going to sell, like in a value-based way. And so then the next part is the body. And so in your body, whatever it is that is your philosophy, your methodology – uh, and if you don't have one, here's what you can do. You can come up with the five-point plan. Maybe it's a six-point plan. Maybe it's – so pick a number, but come up with something concrete and then identify all the steps. And then if it doesn't have a name or if it doesn't have a process, uh, some sort of brand or some sort of you know nickname, then what I want you to consider doing is naming it because when you do that, now it looks more concrete. Now, for salespeople, what I would challenge you to do if you're selling your own product specifically is I would challenge you to put a trademark behind it. And so if your thing that you're offering is your methodology or your pro process, what you do, you create five steps. So I'll, let's make this concrete, Ian. So let's say I'm selling some sort of weight loss thing, right? So if I say my five steps to success, are number one, drink more water. Number two, you know, look at the fork twice before you put it in your mouth. Number three, this and number four, that. So it's likely you've already heard that out in the marketplace. So that doesn't make you different. Well, here's what does. Call it something. Brand it something. So if you're not going to call it like the instant weight loss formula because obviously that's a little hypey, then call it your name. Call it like the Matthews method. And so now when I do that, I now have differentiation in the marketplace. It sounds more scientific. If I go and put a trademark you know, behind it because this is something I want to own, it now makes me unique in the marketplace. Yeah. And so in your body, definitely make sure to have that process. And one last thing I want to sneak in here, Ian, just because I tell you to do something or there, this is a step, I may be the guy in, or the gal in the boardroom that says, you know what? I don't believe him. 
Great. So let's tell a case study. Let's tell a story. Because if I tell you to do something, like if you've got kids, I've got I've got two young ones now. And so if I tell my kids to do one, especially the three-year-old, you know, I get this resistance. And so what you have to think about is I got to tell him a story or I got to bribe him or I got to tell him something interesting as to why he wants to get that. And so in between each step or in between each process, give the case study, give the story if you can work it in. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Love it. All right, cool. So ne- next one is finally is the close. And so close can mean a lot of different things. And I know a lot of people listening in are coming in from different environments. So if we're selling, you know, the real simple thing is say, you know, if you've built value throughout, you've asked questions, um, you know, throughout your presentation, you just simply ask, you know, is it okay if I share with you what I believe the next plan is? And so if they say no at that point, then obviously you did something wrong and you need to go back and you need to isolate that and figure that out. Uh, but naturally what happens when you do this the right way is they say, yes, well, show me what the solution is. And then you present your solution. And so you're solution can be sell the product. It can be set up an appointment uh, so that you can, you know, take them through the sales process. It can be opt into your list if you're you're playing that sort of game. And so the important thing is that you want to make the close irresistible. You want to make them, you want to put together an offer that they say, wow, how can I not take action on this? Yeah. And, and keep in mind that I'm, I'm guessing that when you're talking about the close, it could be, look, you're, you're, you're looking for them to purchase something. It could also be and so here are the things, here are the steps I'd like you to take to get the results that we talked about today. Absolutely. Everything, like I said earlier, every presentation should have an action, meaning that your audience, you should implore them. You should think, keep in mind, what's the action that you want them to take? And uh, action can come in a lot of different forms, but you got to get them into action because without action, nothing happens in the world, in business, in departments. You got to get them to act. Yeah. I mean, what, since a, a lot of people in our audience have been in the audience where, where I've been speaking and they're probably laughing because one of the things that I will often do is at different points through my talk, I'll say, so show of hands, how many of you think that approach I just showed you could be helpful? Mm-hmm. And like, so I'll just about everyone raise their hand. I go, great. How many of you by show of hands can think of two prospects or clients where that approach could be helpful? And almost everyone raised their hand. I go, great. Write them down, <laughs> write down those clients and just write a date by which you're going to use what we just learned with that prospect. And there's usually like a big groan, like, oh, now I'm being held accountable. <laughs> right. But it's funny because for me, it's all about the results. So, yep. look, if, you, if you're just entertained, then you probably should have hired a juggler or a magician. <laughs> but if you want to actually take action, then, you know, that's when you bring in people at that um, – you know, with a, with a different mindset in terms of trying to achieve those results. So, so we've got this whole idea of making sure that people focus on first the intro and making sure that somebody is introducing you to establish your credibility and then stories throughout, which is showing people that transformation, making sure that on the offer side, we understand those challenging pain points that we're delivering value in the body and where appropriate brand it. Mm-hmm. So more credibility. And then the close were making it so irresistible that people say, man, how can I not follow his advice? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's this concept I created called irresistible offer architecture, and there's nine elements. So there's an example right right away there of, you know, when I said the five steps and branded something. So I created something. I'm not the only guy to ever talk about make your offer irresistible, but I did create irresistible offer architecture. And so, Ian, you hit it right on the head when you gave that example of writing the date down. And so one of my components is in the offer, there should be some sort of urgency, right? And so you got people to commit in that, in that conversation from the stage uh, when 
they were going to call those prospects. And so in the same way, in your meeting or in your presentation, what date are they going to accomplish something? When are you going to follow up with them? When are they going to promise to do it? And so urgency or a deadline is mission, mission critical to getting the action that you want or the action that you want for your audience. Yeah, I'm a little concerned because I'm guessing there's now a royalty payment that I'm obligated to pay. So <laughs> I had no idea. I'll wave it this time. <laughs> so, so aside from people rushing out and getting the No BS Guide to Powerful Presentations. And I know you also, in addition to people getting on Amazon, that if people want to get bulk orders, because it's the kind of book that probably anyone in your organization who's giving any sort of presentation should have, what's the best way for people to get that and to learn more about what it is that you're doing and how they reach you online? Yeah, this is very good. Uh, this is this book is you're, you're spot on, Ian, about that. So obviously for salespeople, this this makes sense. But anyone giving presentations, and oftentimes folks that don't consider themselves in sales and marketing, they really need to look at what the folks in sales and marketing are doing because you know they they have some persuasion and, and things figured out. And so what I would say is go to nobspresentations.com. There is a tab on there that says bulk orders. And when uh, you know because I'm under the gun to move a lot of books to keep the publisher happy and get the message out. Of course, there are some special incentives. So when you order multiple copies of the book, not only do you get multiple copies for your team, but you get tools and resources. Uh, and at some levels you get consulting and, and things like that. Um, things that I would never do, uh, not, uh, when I'm selling a book. Um, and so you can really maximize and get some really good stuff, um, at nobspresentations.com and just look for that book buy option. That's awesome. And if people want to learn more about you, is that the best place to go also? Um, yes, Speaking Empire as well, speakingempire.com. It's, it's our consulting business where we uh, work with folks to actually write their presentation. And so uh, you can check out all that we do at speakingempire.com. Excellent. Well, Dustin, you gave us a ton of information. I will summarize all this stuff for our audience in a few seconds here. But thanks so much for sharing your wisdom, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hey, there's a ton of great information that Dustin shared. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key things I think you can use right away. First, always start with the end in mind with a call to action, making sure that you're being of service to your audience. And the big mistakes you want to avoid are not presenting, doing things last minute, not having enough stats and stories to make things interesting, and then that whole idea of being kind of topical and not persuasive and there's no forum for you to practice. So you avoid those, you'll be wildly successful. And then remember his five key steps of intro, story, offer, body, and close. I want to thank those of you who take the time to post a review on iTunes and share this with your friends. It makes a big difference. And remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should have on the show or a guest, just fire me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.